Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 15. The date is February 4th, 2009. Uh, we have a very special show today. Of course, we have Wesley. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. Ah, that's good to hear. And we have a very special guest today, Mr. Walt Ribeiro. How's it going, Walt? Hey, man. What's up? Ah, not much. Decided we should get you on, because for the past, oh, I don't know, I guess it's been about three weeks now, we've been using your music in the podcast. So. Yeah, man. You know, thanks for that. That's huge. It's awesome. Well, thank you for doing some PodSafe music. It's not very easy to find it outside of the PodSafe Music Network, and even That's filtering right, all right. the garbage out of there, it's not an easy task. And, you know, for the past, like, two or three weeks, like, you know, we've been running around trying to get me on the show, too. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, crazy, you know, like, there's like there's always been something going on every week, it seems, you know? Yeah, it, it yeah, like past few older. weeks have been crazy. <laughs> right, totally. And so you are the internet music teacher, and of course everybody can find you at waltribero.net. Um, so tell us a little bit about what makes you the internet's music teacher. Okay, uh, so so um, so what I do is that I teach um, a daily music lesson show every day um, on all these different social networks, like you know, on UStream, YouTube, uh, Viddler, on Revision Three, a bunch of different things. And so, uh, it, I mean, it all started off with this video that I made called How to Read Music, which uh, now if you Google How to Read Music, I'm the first video result, which is kind of crazy. But um, at any rate, I started doing it every day, and uh, it's just a free um, show where if you're a student or whatever, if you wanted to, to know something, shoot me the question, I'll answer it, make a video about it, and uh, I'll upload it the next day. And uh, I think I have over about 400-something videos now, and they're all available at my archive, which is at waltribero.net, W-A-L-T-R-I-B-E-I-R-O.net. So how did you get into music, and how long have you been in music? Uh, you know what, dude? Um, I actually started when, when I was, like, 16. Uh, it started out when I was in high school, just kind of had, didn't have a whole lot going on and just kind of wanted to have kind of like a little activity to, to do on the side. Started playing guitar, uh, got obsessed with it, crazy with it. And by the time I was 17, I started teaching privately, professionally. And when I was 18, I went to school for it on scholarship. And uh, then when I was 22, graduated from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And now I'm 24 and I'm the Internet's music teacher. So all this kind of within like eight years. It's, well, it doesn't feel like eight years. It feels like seven and a half. I uh, know <laughs> I'm not much of a music person myself other than the fact that I listen to it most of the time. But I know I've learned quite a bit just from sitting and watching you. How many different instruments do you play? Uh, you know, just two. Uh, guitar and piano. Although uh, Wesley, you know, you sing, right? No, 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 my wife sings. I, I yeah, sing I, poorly, but I guess you, if you want to count that. Well, you like karaoke sing, right? Yes. Everyone's good at that. With some liquid libations, yes. <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so I guess we'll go ahead and get rolling here. We've got a good number of stories today. It won't be a real short, short show like it was last week, so... Stories we do have today are Google Earth lets you explore oceans and Mars. 
Google launches Latitude and loot competitor. Report claims that 14.6 million netbooks have shipped in 2008, with more growth expected. One in three broadbread subscribers is a pirate. Vuz calls for the FCC to probe Cox Cable's traffic management. Full stream ahead for Intel antitrust. Oh, we're skipping that story. Court, uh, no right to shout douchebag in a crowded blog. What you get with a $5 garage band artist lesson. Video games outsell DVDs, Blu-rays for the first time in 2008. That and so much more when we come back on the Global Geek News Podcast. Welcome back to the Global Geek News Podcast, episode number 15. Don't forget, if you want to follow along with us on the show notes, you can find those at globalgeeknews.com. And don't forget to check out the Global Geek News blog while you're over there at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. There's been a couple of good posts lately. Um, Just a quick mention, I did one yesterday about Amazon's new casual gaming digital download store thing as well as there's one that's getting a little bit of attention now for my thoughts on the all the different versions of Windows 7. So make sure to check those out at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. Anyway, let's go ahead and hit the first story. Google has released the new version of Google Earth where now you can sail, you can dive deep into the seas and check out the surface of Mars. Those are two different things, not the same thing, though, right? It, it's all in the Google Earth application. I. But you're not going to into, dive into the Pacific Ocean and find Mars there. Oh, no, probably not. You may find a small rock from Mars or something that may have landed on Earth, but if you do, you'd be very lucky. Man, this... This whole, like, Google Earth, like, going under, like, the sea thing is, you know, I mean, this thing is just sick. It is just so, so cool. I was, just, I was like, messing with, like, the other day, and, like, I felt like I was swimming, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I wonder how many layers they're going to add. I mean, this is just almost a complete surface of the Earth. Next thing you're going to do, we're going to do, what, North Pole, South Pole? Yeah. Oh, I'm... they don't have North Pole, South Pole on Google Earth? Well, I mean, like, like core drilling, that's what I'm talking about. Hmm. Well, they do have uh, apparently a historical map kind of thing where you can kind of see maps and what stuff looked like from the past years and decades. There's, I guess there's a new feature where you can even look at, like, San Francisco and see the Silicon Valley going back from when it was a farming community all the way to what it is now 50 years later as to where it's the big tech hub capital of the world. So then, like, I mean, what I want to know is, like, is, like, has, like, a company like this 
maintain that. I mean, because the Earth is constantly changing. You know, like, not that there's, you know, huge differences in the ocean, but, you know, I mean, like, there's, like, you know, there, like, you know, like, there's beach erosion, you know, there's coral reefs that are constantly being created and destroyed. Uh, you know, like, there's shipwrecks, there's, you know, I mean, like, there, you know, like, there's drilling, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff. Um, you know, I mean, what, like, do they do, like, like, a new map every 10 years, and then they just update it, and then they just put the old one in the archives? Is that what they're doing? I, mean, I don't this know. This is awesome. I, I know they launched a new satellite that's just for Google and Google Earth and stuff like that. I guess, has it been, like, a month ago, I think, where it, it's supposed to be one of the most high-res commercial cameras available or satellites so they can get all kinds of new pictures before I they've I think they've been using satellite footage from other people they're just kind of taking whenever the satellite happens to pass by an area I know the the last time I looked on Google Maps I haven't played with Google Earth in a while but the last time on Google Maps it showed when our front yard was all dirt before we put in the yard so it had to have passed over about like two years ago but I, I would assume I would they... have to, to I would have to guess that the the footage that they're getting from this is probably from all the oil exploration that is going on, and probably just stitching that stuff together. And whenever we look for oil, they just buy it from Exxon Mobil or whoever. That's well, just that a guess. That wouldn't surprise me. I I know with the underwater stuff, I've heard like they're taking a lot of it from underwater expeditions and stuff for like sunken treasure or looking for weird and exotic exotic animal creatures that happen to be living underwater. So I, I would assume that's part of where that comes from, which is why I think the ocean part of Google Earth is, isn't quite complete yet, because I think there's only been like 10% of the ocean floor or whatever that's actually been seen or mapped by people. Right, right. You know, which is just like a crazy concept to begin with because, you know, the ocean is 75% of the entire world, you know? So to even get 10% is just like, you know, it's just like ridiculous. I'm guessing this might even use be a tool to, to be like the next Everest. People are going to just try to explore these places that have never been explored before just because this is available and say, hey, I was the one who got that put on Google Earth. I'm, I'm no, kinda... Right, you know, I mean, that actually brings up a pretty good point is that at this point, you will literally see what's been discovered and what hasn't, rather than just trying to guess. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how much like treasure hunters use this, because there's lots of deep-sea diving treasure hunters that use all kinds of old maps and old charts and stuff to find sunken ships and everything. I'm kind of curious if now they'll do more of that searching virtually, rather than actually having to spend the money to go out and dive for something that they think could just be sitting right on the surface. Right. But speaking um, of... Google doesn't just... Uh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was about to jump into the next story, but go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, was, I, 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 I was jumping into the next story, too. But okay. Yeah, I, I was going to do that, too, but with a smoother transition. Well, then by all means, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. You know what? <laughs> Show me what you got. Google okay. doesn't just innovate on the desktop, they also do innovations on the mobile front also with this new Google Latitude. Yeah, for any... Wow, that, that was smooth. That was a smooth transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, this was a new thing that was announced 
this morning at midnight. Apparently this is a new, well, I guess from the sounds of it, some people have been using it as a trial for the past few days because I did see a story on Loaded from the CBS early show about it. But apparently Latitude is basically a looped competitor, and I know there's like one or two similar services that allow you to communicate with your friends or people you follow that follow you, whatever, where you are at any given time. So if you're, say, at the grocery store, your friends can know, hey, he's at the grocery store, have him pick up some chips and dip for the party this weekend. Well, this is basically just kind of Google's version of that, basically. So so how is this different than things like Bright Kite or something? It, I mean, it's not much different, correct? Uh, not that I know. I'm not sure what all you can communicate over it, if you can do, like, pictures and stuff. Apparently it uses uh, cell phone triangulation and GPS to kind of figure out where it is you are, depending on what kind of a mobile device or if you're on a laptop or whatever it is that you're using at the time. Apparently they have it working with... Uh, Blackberries, S60, Windows Mobile, Android, and, or apparently the Android app will be available in the next few days, and an iPhone app is coming. But apparently, this is—I I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. I'll oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I think this is direct competitor to BrightKite because BrightKite's underlying API is based off uh, Yahoo's uh, Yahoo's uh, API stack for location-based software. This one will allow you to see all your friends just scrolling through a list. Uh, one thing that does concern me about the story, they're talking about privacy, saying that um, you can hide your privacy from your friends. You don't have to show it if you don't want to, but none of this actually talks about privacy from Google. Google's probably still logging all this data on their side. Yeah, that that's just what I was thinking when I was reading it. And it's got all these privacy settings as to where you can specifically pick which friend you want to know where you're at, or you can tell them, okay, I'm actually here, but as far as that this particular friend is concerned, I'm completely on the other side of the globe. So it, it's a lot more of a customizable thing in the way that you can kind of customize how people see, like, a Facebook profile. But yeah, I have a feeling that this is going to go a lot more towards what Google can do with location-based ads more than anything. Yeah, you know, and, like, I wonder how weird that would be if, like, I shoot out an update to tell people where I am on Latitude, and then I'm like, oh, I'm on this section, you know, like, I'm in the Atlantic Ocean, Latitude 4221, <laughs> here it is, you go to, to the Google Ocean, and you actually see me, like, typing, you know? I think that would be pretty amazing. It's probably going to be like when GPS was just introduced and people were driving into lakes. Probably going to start <laughs> seeing true. lawsuits on this. Yeah. I, oh, I've... really? Like, there's people like, who've driven into lakes? Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I was when I was watching the um, CBS Early Show sh segment about this on Loaded, they were saying that especially in areas that don't get good cell phone coverage, that the accuracy wasn't that great because um, I guess they gave... The, a bunch of phones or whatever with this particular uh, latitude functionality to a family so they could all keep track of each other. Well, one of the um, girls in the family had ended up saying that they were like in the middle of the Hudson River. Um, one that said was at the mall when they were somewhere completely different. And apparently when you go into an area of better cell phone coverage, it's a little bit better. But I guess it still has its faults at this point. 
I, I, I'm guessing that they also said yeah, you can, you can mainly type in where you are. So you yeah. can say, oh, I was at work, and then on Saturday, you can still say you're at work, and then Sunday, it still says you're at work. And you're like, oh, man, Wesley, you're working all the time now. I can say, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect alibi. But anyway, speaking of things that are taking off, apparently there have been 14.6 million netbooks shipped in 2008, and I guess they're expecting it to grow even more. Uh, according to a recent uh, study or report from research firm Display Bank, there's been 14.6 million netbooks sold last year, with Acer and Asus leading the way at 37.3% and 33.2% of the market share, with HP at 7.5, which that sounds like a large number. The 4.6, 14.6 sounds like a large number, but that's actually only 11% of total laptop sales, and they see that increasing to 18.9 by 2012. And what kind of gets me is their description of a netbook, but we'll get to that in a minute. Do you think these are actual, uh, that the 18.9% is achievable within the next three years? That is, I would... That's a big chunk, man. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's one thing that's in this story that's not written in this story, and that's the whole thing, is the economy. It's not talking about how this is a sign of the times. People are looking for cheaper laptops. And the thing that Dell and HP should be concerned with is that Acer and Asus number saying how high that is. What people are going to do, usually, if they have a good experience with something they buy, they just stay with that brand. And the market share that they're getting here in the netbook space could translate into the full-blown laptop later on after we do go through a recovery. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, my problem uh, is like compatibility. I mean, I hate PCs. I can't stand them. And I'm not even like, I wasn't even a Mac fanboy until I, you know, like, like that I owned a PC my entire life until maybe like two years ago. I bought my first Mac because uh, I, I was doing like production stuff. And I, you know, like when I went to school, like there were just Macs everywhere. Like all the kids were just using Macs, you know, like the design department, the music department, everything. And so when, um, and uh, you know, that when I started using a Mac, I started getting so acquainted with it. And now none of my Mac files really communicate with my PC files. I still own both computers. And I just can't really see getting a netbook for me uh, from a compatibility standpoint. And I don't think Mac's coming out with a netbook anytime soon. I think they're just gonna keep on riding out uh, you know, like a MacBook Pro, and then they're going to bump the MacBooks down to the lower level and make them, you know, sub one thousand dollars. And I think that's going to be your 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 Mac netbook. Although they got the Mac, um, like they're coming out with, with like the new MacBook Touch, which I think is going to be pretty intense. But that's another story. Yeah, uh, I think that's really where Apple's kind of faltering is their lack of a low cost netbook. And with Apple, there's always been this. Apple tax and whatever that's basically made any Apple product a whole lot more expensive than what any PC person thinks it should be. I mean, that that's really my ra main reason for not even trying a Mac, because it's too expensive for me to even consider getting one, even if I did try one and like one. I, I think that's, with the, with the netbook space 
growing, especially assuming that it's growing at this proposed rate, I think it, it's gonna Apple's really gonna start kicking kicking themselves if they don't get something out within the next year. Well, the 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 thing about Apple is their biggest problem is that they're a public company. Uh, you if you look at Lamborghini and you can't say that Lamborghini is being faulted for not coming out with a, a cheap car in this economic times. I think it's the same could be said about Apple. Uh, but the thing is, they're a public company, and their shareholders always want growth. And the only way to grow that company um, is either go ultra-luxury, which they're almost there, or like boutique computer level, or to get into this netbook space. And I think launching an ultra-luxury man is not smart, but launching a netbook with their OS is, and if and they've already played with this with what the 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 Mac Mini, they they've they've gone ultra cheap, right? Which is to say low end for them. Um, so I would expect to see like a nine hundred dollar netbook from them. Well, but I can buy you know like a one year used MacBook, which is just killing for about nine for about nine hundred bucks. So. I think that Apple kind of gets it that they're kind of getting to that netbook status without having to come out with another model, because it costs the company so much money to make a new design, you know. Yeah, I would guess that they're just probably tied to Intel's development line, and uh, they they they're not happy with the Atom, but they saw it and they say, okay, make these changes, and you'll be in our netbook. And Intel's working on that right now. Well, it seems like to me, Apple doesn't like to get into places where markets that are easily, um, that are already mostly developed, they want to be in like what they did with the iPod, where, yeah, there was a market there for MP3 players, but it wasn't a very big market, and it wasn't a very, um, and the devices weren't very mature at that point, as to where they could come in with whatever device they had, whether it's any kind of an iPod, and basically run wild with the whole market. I, I and when you have such big players like Acer and Asus and even HP, I don't know if that kind of keeps them out of it more than once. Oh no, to get them in. definitely not. The whole netbook experience is not defined. I'm not talking about what the hardware is, but the experience itself, and that's what Apple does best. If you look at any commercial from Apple, they tell you, this is what we have and this is how you use it. Um, and when you look at a netbook, they said, here's, you do whatever you want, and people try to load uh, Outlook on it or, or try to do Photoshop on it and just have bad experiences. But if Apple came in the market, I think that they would definitely say, this is what we have and this is what you use it for, and I think that will define the space. But what is the purpose of a netbook? I, I mean, it's just a really cheap laptop with a small portability right I mean, my point exactly yeah. but but what are the limitations you know it I know it but do your parents know it do your cousins and aunts and uncle know it that message is going to be defined by Apple right hmm. uh, I think the thing with Apple is they need to have more of a I mean, they kind of screwed up with mobile me and they need to have a, a better cloud environment before they can legitimately get into this space and say we're here to play with the big boys. The problem with mo with the mobile me is that it's is that it's it's not free, which 
was a huge mistake, but that's I, I think that was a huge mistake. Like I I would have bought it, and I was going to think I I would have bought a laptop just for the mobile me feature, because I hate updating stuff. I hate updating stuff. I hate getting someone's phone number and having to put it in my email, um, or you know put it in like my Gmail contacts. Get their business card, put it in my file cabinet, put it in my cell phone. Like I just hate all that. I think it's a total drag. And I love the idea of putting it in the cloud and then just having it instantly update. But uh, I think that Moomi could have been done uh, a lot better. And then in turn, that actually that software, like that like that cloud software, I think would have actually turned a lot of heads to Apple's hardware. Is that if you had made that a free feature, I think that they would have gotten that that money back tenfold on their on like their hardware sales. But that's just me, maybe not. Okay, all right. Well, here's the, the ultimate win. Apple comes out, makes their own cell phone service. They have this netbook and you can get the iPhone and you get mobile me, bam, win. Apple's done. Yeah, at that point Apple would own the world like Google. You know. Yeah, I I think Apple has it's got directions that it can go. I just don't see it moving in any of those directions at this point well the biggest thing that you can't do with a netbook is download a whole bunch of movies because of the limited storage but apparently one third of everybody who's on broadband does that yeah you know what? I actually and this sounds crazy but I actually think that the number is higher than one in three people like I mean like I mean almost all of my friends get free stuff whether it's through BitTorrents or through you know whatever I mean it all depends on how all these surveys it's all how they word it because they don't want to send out a survey say hey do you pirate yes or no they ask all these questions that they try to interpret whether or not you pirate or not they said hey have you ever downloaded a, a video off the internet for free but I was like yeah I got Walt's video for free yes and they put that on the survey and they oh that guy pirates Oh man, you've been getting my videos for free? <laughs> God. Yeah, BitTorrent, man. <laughs> man. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Like, I mean, I agree with that totally. And plus, of course, my uh, results are going to be higher than the than the rest of the national average because I'm a I'm around tech heads. So of course, all of my friends are going to be extremely computer savvy, like the top ten percent computer savvy people. You know what I mean? Like. Just very, very like, you know, like, like that they get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the thing about this uh, particular survey is that it's only talking about TV shows and movies, not music and software. So I'm sure if if you included those, this one in three number would be a whole lot higher. I, th- I think that's kind of where this study is hinges on. Yeah, regardless uh, of what the numbers say. I think I do agree with the point where they said that most people don't feel remorse for it. Yeah, no, I, mean, no, I agree. I don't think people really feel bad about it because it's a different environment. Now we have pod safe music. People like you know, like myself, including, uh, put their music up for free. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a creative commons world. We live in an internet world, so the whole internet is based off of, of free subscription models. If I had to pay for Twitter, I wouldn't use it. If I had to pay for Ustream, probably wouldn't use it. If I had to pay for Gmail, probably wouldn't use it. If I had to pay for a phone call, like we're doing right now on Skype, I probably wouldn't use it. And it's just it's just a different mindset. I mean, 
you know, we're growing up in a world where things are free. And people make their money on lost leaders or on the back end somehow. I think yeah, also like, part of it is that there's no way to actually get some of this content legally. Like, uh, what do you do in that period of time when a movie's in a theater, then it's out of the theater, but it's not out on DVD yet, and you really want to watch that movie? Yeah, I, I, completely, totally. I completely agree. There, The thing is, and I, like always, I will admit, I am a pirate. I, Raising my hand, yes, I am one. Now, that said, I haven't pirated me music in a long time, but TV shows I pirate on a regular basis, which apparently I'm only in the 4% of this study when I say that, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of show TV shows and stuff that I get off a bit torrent that a lot of them aren't out on DVD yet, and I prefer to get them on DVD if I can. Just last week I got the entire series of Everybody Loves Raymond off of Amazon, and before that I got like Stargate SG-1 and Band of Brothers and all kinds of other stuff, but there's a lot of older TV shows like Becker and stuff like that that they don't have on DVDs yet, or Drew Carey and stuff, so that's pretty much about the only way I have of going about getting it, because a lot of these shows, very rarely do they have reruns of them, and if they do, they're on at like 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm not going to stay up to watch them. And you also have to think about international shows, like people in Australia or in the UK who don't get the shows the same time we do. I mean, they don't want to wait when they know it's out there, and they're just going to go and get it. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, it's almost like being eight hours behind. Uh, you know, like it's like that. It's almost living in like in like Australia and being like, so who won the Super Bowl? You know, like that. <laughs> you know, like that. Like you just want to know. You know what I mean? So and you know it's out there. So why wait? Well, what, totally. there, why, why go through those restrictions? Yeah, and you know, I, one one thing that I do think is interesting though is that people have pirated for years, even 50 years ago. I mean, it was totally normal, and that's how like you know bands like Metallica and stuff made their entire following was from people burning DVDs or not DVDs, but burning you know tapes, you know even before like you know even before CDs, people burning tapes and just like handing them off to their friends. The problem with it today is that it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. It's not, I'm not burning, a, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not making a mixtape, you know, in, in two hours and, and then giving it to you and you give it to your friend. I'm literally burning a DVD within five minutes and sending it out to over 200,000 people within 10 minutes. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of, I don't know, with some things... So not, so not much has changed. The, I mean, the mindset's the same, it's just it's on such a more exponential scale that they're almost like, okay, it was okay when it was like one-to-one -one ratio, but now it's like one-to-hundreds of thousands. Well, I mean, you can totally understand why there's no remorse. I mean, it's like that joke. Um, it's somewhat like when, they, when you go to the movie theaters and, hey, you wouldn't steal a movie, would you? Or, hey, you wouldn't steal a car, would you? And he says, of course I wouldn't steal a car, but if a buddy said, hey, I just got a brand new car, want me to burn you a copy? I would say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's I, I, right. That's, I think that's, that's a good one. kind of the difference now. I think the Internet's made all the difference. I mean, in the past, I know it used to be when we had <laughs> v awesome. VCRs and stuff, I would, a lot of times, I would uh, record movies or TV shows and give them to other people, and they would do the same for me just because... A lot of times I wouldn't be home when something would air or they wouldn't be home when something would air and figuring out 
getting and getting our VCR to record at a certain time was always a pain with a lot of units, since most people couldn't even get their VCRs to stop flashing 12 o'clock. But now, one person has it, anybody can get it, instead of just the one or two people that you're particularly wanting to give it to, unless you send it through like an instant messenger or something like that. The thing that I that that I like the most about like about you know about like internet content is that like you know all of like the like the curse words are left in there like that it's just so open like there's like you know that like that that the actual like FCC and all like the government regulations you know they tend to like uh, not overlook it you know like that you're you know is that you're free from you know like from all that stuff and. Um, you know, I mean, like, and even like, um, like that. What's this thing about like have views called like the FCC probe of Cox's cable traffic thing? Yeah. Do you know what v- I'm talking about? Yeah, views was the one that uh, called foul against Comcast to the FCC when Comcast was creating issues with BitTorrent traffic when they were um, killing people that were seeding. They were or not killing the actual people, but whenever you'd see the file, anytime you connect to the person, they would kill the connection. And now Cox is, from the sounds of it, they're using similar language, so I'm not sure if they're doing the exact same thing. But basically, anything that they can consider um, non-real-time information that's uh, not necessary, or it's not time-sensitive... They're delaying it. So basically, anything FTP, Usenet, software updates, BitTorrent, anything peer-to-peer, is basically being, or has the p- potential to be delayed during uh, traffic-heavy times.